One of the reasons that I am excited this morning is something that uh, uh, God has made possible for this morning. This last week was uh, in Portland, Oregon. There was a Congress of Third World Mission Leaders. Uh, this is a, a convention of people from non-Western countries who are leaders in movements, missionary movements in those countries of sending people from those countries out reaching the world. This is one of the things, the great things that God is doing in our day, that more and more of his force in reaching the world is coming from non-Western countries, people who can more easily cross cultural barriers. The, the, The barrier, the differences aren't as great as they go into new areas or even new parts of their own countries. God is raising up a powerful force. Um, There was, when I heard, I was talking to the the people over there who were sponsoring this, and I heard of one man who was coming to this convention. as a man I had heard of several years ago, a Jordanian. He was actually Palestinian-born, Jordanian, who is now a British citizen, ministering out of London, got quite an uh, international background. This was a man, uh, Victor Hushwe, who I had heard of through some of uh, our people, some of our field staff who are in the Middle East. And I heard he was going to be there. So I asked them, and they generously volunteered to ask him, and he graciously agreed to fly over and be with us this morning and to teach us. As I said, Victor is ministering out of London. He uh, ministers throughout the Arab world. It's a little bit difficult since this is is a region of the world where uh, evangelism, reaching people, cannot be done openly, cannot be done in an obvious manner because the reaction would, uh, in many cases, be violent, would in many cases uh, preclude further ministry. So it's not something I can share a lot of the details about, but it let me um, just uh, say enough to say that that this is a man who is uh, having a profound effect on the movement of of Middle Eastern Christians to reach their neighbors with the gospel of Christ. And, and the way I look at it in, in my conversations with Victor, uh, him telling me stories uh, with men like this, it's often you don't see necessarily an immediate direct uh, uh, effect through their lives. But what you see happening all around them is ministry multiplying. Many of the, the great men and women of God, it's just where they are involved, where they are encouraging, where they are in contact, God just is raising up ministers, sending people out, reaching people for his name. And this is true of Victor. Victor is also the uh, co-chairman of the selection committee for Luzon 2, the conference that's going to be held in Manila. And so, again, is doing a lot of traveling, a lot of contact with what God is doing around the world. So, as I said, he graciously agreed to fly over from Portland. He arrived last night, and we had a, a small meeting for him last night, and then is going to be teaching us this morning, just sharing with us from the things that God has been teaching him, some of the things that he has seen. So, Victor, would you come up and uh, teach us this morning? I think you have been the ones gracious enough to have me. 
and accept my Arabic English with a bit of a British touch to it. <laughs> the two great nations divided by a common language. It was someone who said it, I didn't. I'm really grateful to be with you this morning. And as I was enjoying the worship time together with the Spirit of God moving, genuine worship in truth and in spirit, I couldn't help but reflect on that vision that John, the disciple of Jesus, saw in Revelation 7. He saw those multitudes from every nation, from every tribe, from every tongue. And all were before the throne and worshipping the Lamb. And this morning I felt that by way of joining those multitudes from every nation, from every tribe, including people from the Middle East, I know personally and through my friends too that in every part of the Middle East there are those knees that bow to Jesus Christ and confess that Jesus Christ is truly Lord. There is not a nation that I know where there isn't a number of Christians who worship the Lord in that way. And for that, we praise the Lord. One of our favorite songs or choruses that we have in the Arab world is Psalms 150, where it starts with the word Hallelujah. And you know, in Psalms 147, the psalmist started to say, I want to worship the Lord, and he started to introduce all those various instruments. The various instruments that he decided to, to introduce. In Psalms 147, he introduces quite a few. And then Psalms 48, he adds a bit more, adding some more in 149. And in Psalms 150, he seems to have lined up all those instruments together. And then he still wanted to worship the Lord. He ran out of instruments, but he didn't run out of breath. So he said, let every one that has breath praise the Lord. So we can always praise the Lord. And one of our favorite is to sing that song. But in particular, I'm not going to teach it to you this morning, not in Arabic, but only just 15 words of it. Now, all of you are clever enough to remember 15 words in Arabic, but to simplify it, I will say it's the word hallelujah repeated 15 times. Does that make it easier? Yes. So I'll sing it for you once, and uh, perhaps our uh, efficient pianist can join me on the second round. It's easy. And uh, then we'll see. Because I want you, as we sing that chorus, hallelujah, to remember those people in heaven who are singing hallelujah to the Lamb and to remember those folk in the Middle East who at this time, be it being night time and the Sunday evening worship may have just started or just about concluding, as the case may be. And they are singing that song. So here, the church in this city, in heaven... And in the Middle East, they sing the same song. And we all focus our attention to the Lamb. It goes like this. 
Would you join me on the second time, please? Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. We tried for the last time and I want you to hold your breath on hallelujah number 14 because we want them, because we want them both in heaven and on that part I come from to hear us. And perhaps they will hear us better if we stand. So we tried for the last time. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 please be seated. So next time the pianist will remind you of this one. I hope she got it by now. <laughs> Our reading this morning is taken from the book of Numbers. And chapter 35, I won't go through the whole verses. Perhaps all of you here will remember that at one point on the plains of Moab, God commanded Moses to tell the Israelite to select or to appoint about six cities of refuge among the allotment given to the Levites. In verse 9 it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into Canaan, select some towns to be your cities of refuge, to which a person who has, called, who has killed someone accidentally may flee. There will be places of refuge from the avenger, so that a person accused of murder may not die before he stands trial before the assembly. These six towns you give will be cities of refuge. And then in verse 22, but if without hostility someone suddenly shoves another or throws someone something at him unintentionally or without seeing him drops a stone on him and could, that could kill him and he dies, then since he was not his enemy, and he did not intend to harm him, the assembly must judge between him and the avenger of blood according to these regulations. The assembly must protect the one accused of murder from the avenger of blood and send him back to the city of refuge to which he fled. He must stay there until the death of the high priest who was anointed with the holy oil. Now just think with me for a moment. Someone has just 
unintentionally kills someone else. So he starts the run for his life. And in the Middle East, when someone running, runs, everybody wants to run after him, and three quarters of them don't know why. Because everybody is joining in, so everybody else's business is my business, as you will sadly discover. So here is this man running for his life, and everybody, shops are being closed, homes are being closed, and everybody is just following that fellow. And he is just looking for any son that says, city of refuge. And he just keeps running until he arrives to the door and which says, city of refuge. Just think for a moment that if he gets to the entrance of the city and he finds the sign, city of refuge closed for repairs. This would be a nightmare, wouldn't it? Now he goes into there, and let's suppose it was not closed. His whole hope of being inside the city of refuge is geared on one thing. Suppose they had newspapers in that city, the, let's say the Boys Daily, the Boys Daily, and he would read the news, he would read the political items, he would read the economical items, the social items, but he's not looking for any of these. He's looking for a single bit of news. He was waiting the first day, the second day, the third day, the first month, and then suddenly the news comes in under stop press. We've just received the news today that the high priest has passed away. He would shout for joy because the Bible says that's the only time this man can be released from the city of refuge is when the high priest has died. And friends, if I am to say that our homes are to be the cities of refuge, in the world around us, people are on the run. They are running from things into other things. Some are running from people. Some are running from their close friends. Some are running from their past. Some are running from feelings of guilt. And they run into something else. They run into drugs. They run into alcohol. They run into loose morality. They run into business. And many workaholics have gone to business simply to avoid the issues that is really concerning them. If we are to be the cities of refuge, what better place than our homes can be those cities of refuge? Where people who are on the run can come into our homes and everyone here can be involved in a mission of rescue. Everyone here can provide his home as a place where people can run into. And what do they want? What do people want to hear? Do they want to hear about the weather? I know this is a favorite topic in Britain because we have the four seasons in a day. <laughs> they may want to know the latest of the inflation. The, the price has gone up. The exchange rate has gone up. The shares has gone down. The October crash. The Black Monday. That might be interesting for some. The latest on the social events. I want to tell you this has happened. That has happened. But I tell you they want to hear one thing, friends. 
that the high priest has died. And our high priest is Jesus. He has died to set the prisoners free. And we have that word of reconciliation in us. And the word that they want to hear, as we have seen this morning, when you have taken part in that bread, when you have drunk the wine, you shall proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. That is the word that the world wants to hear. That Jesus, our high priest, has died. He himself had said, For the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to set the prisoners free. That is the freedom to which we have the key. Simply by sharing the good news that our Lord has died. Let's think for a moment that somebody was still running. Going through all the Old Testament. I mean, we in the Middle East, you know, like to imagine things. We like to talk about drama. We like to tell stories. I mean, no wonder that Jesus always told stories. You know, somebody would like to ask him, Jesus, I want to ask you a very serious question. And Jesus would say, well, let me tell you a story. You see, the, the logic of the mind in the West, as Paul could capture it well, he said, the Greeks seek wisdom. Prove to me. So you start by proving. One, two, three, four, five. Jews look for a sign. Something that will show. A parable. A story. So invariably when somebody asks me, why don't you prove to me that Jesus is the Son of God? I follow the same pattern that my Lord followed. Well, let me tell you a story. That will put him to rest. Now suppose that person from the Old Testament kept running through the pages of the Old Testament until he came to a part of the New Testament, to a home in Mark chapter 2. It goes on like this. Few days when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home, so many gathered that there was no room left. Simply, the people has heard that Jesus was in a home. They didn't ask where the home was. They didn't ask who occupied that home. They didn't ask how large that home is. Is it a rich home or a poor home? They just simply heard that Jesus was in a home. And the Bible says they crowded outside. They stood in queue, long queues, long lines. In, in, in American, in English we say queues. In here we say lines. You had long lines outside. We heard Jesus is in this house. Let me ask you, friend, the question this morning. Do people know that Jesus is living in your home? Have they heard it? That Jesus is in your home? Do you have lines of people queuing outside? Do you have people on the waiting list, some 20 or 30, calling you, please, we want to see you. Please, we want to come to your home. If this isn't the case, let me tell you, friends, there must be something wrong. Because if Jesus is in a home, people cannot help but come to you. You know, John said, that whom we have seen, that whom we have heard, 
that whom we have handled with our hands. Jesus visible. Jesus audible. Jesus tangible. They heard, they saw, they touched Jesus. This is Christianity. They hear about Jesus, they see Jesus, and they can touch Jesus. In us. If Jesus is in us, the hope of glory. They must be able to say that. Many of my Muslim friends, they say, well, you know, we don't understand Jesus. The theology that you're telling us about is something we cannot comprehend. There's no way that we can stay away from those Christians. There's something about them. When we come into their homes, there is something about them. And we're able to see Jesus. I remember vividly one time I was ministering to a Muslim couple in London. And God had moved powerfully over the man, and He'd healed the man, and did few other miracles in his life. And I remember his wife one day told me this. She said, I heard that my brother in, at home in another country in the Middle East, I heard that my brother had heart trouble and that he was going to be admitted to the hospital. So I called him from London and I told him, please don't go to hospital. You just fly over here because here we've seen the hands of Jesus touching my husband. The hands of Jesus touching my husband. She did not see the Christians. She saw the hand of Jesus. No wonder one time I read a poem about somebody, a non-Christian, who was describing his Christian friend. And he said, you know, when he came to me, the truth for him was so clear. For me, still dim. But when he came, I saw a sense of him. Capital H. When he laughed, I could see him laughing. And when I looked at his eyes, and I could see him no more, but I saw the Christ instead. That is the Christianity that we talk about. So Jesus was there waiting at home. Why? To proclaim the word. And Jesus spoke the word, and also tended the need of that person. He spoke to them the word, and stretched the hand to heal the body. A cup of cold water, but always in the name of Jesus. The two together. Jesus with a cold cup of water. But then that home, that was to be a place for healing, something happened to it, as we find in John 20. On the evening, John 20 and verse 19, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. That home, the house of healing, the house of ministry, the house where the word of reconciliation was to flow, the house where love was to be seen and to be shown so that there would be no fear, because perfect love casts away all fear. That house, instead of becoming a house of healing, is now a house of sickness. The very people God had sent us to minister unto, we are afraid of them. 
our doors are closed away from them for fear of the Jews. Friends, we need to do the homework, the work at home. Something ought to be done about our homes so that our homes will reflect Jesus again, will reflect His love again. Fear of the Jews. You know, one of the greatest things that we are afraid to do, that we fear most, is the reactions of people. We are afraid of people. How we talk to them. We are afraid they come back to us violently. And this is more so in the Middle East than in any other country perhaps. We are afraid because for fear. We are afraid to tell the news because we might be end up in jail. We are afraid to do that. We are afraid to do a lot of things. But I tell you, friend, love, perfect love, casts away all fear. Fear and love cannot be together. And if love is there, love doesn't ask, what will I get out of it? Love will say, what can I give? Love will say, how can I lay my life for that person? And it's no longer, I'm concerned about myself. But I'm concerned about the other. That is love. And I thank God that in the midst of this closed, locked doors, Jesus comes in through the walls. Many times we have that wall so thick around us that there is no way where somebody could come in or get out for that matter. And Jesus comes in and he speaks peace. Peace. Be upon you, he says. Peace be with you. You know, finally, we read in Acts 2 that this home that was once closed for fear of the Jews, this home that was had kept the people away, you find in the, in the closing verses of Acts 2, the disciples devoted themselves to teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. It was no longer a closed home. It has now been opened again. The temple opened, the house opened again, as the Holy Spirit moved upon them. And the love of God that was shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit have casted away all fear. You know, the moment we look at people who come to us as intruders, we lose the very reason for why we're here and why we're saved. If we change today from considering people as intruders to say these are friends, if we are to decide today not to consider them problems but opportunities, if we are to decide today that 
there will be no barriers between us and them, but there will be bridges. So we have no intruders, we have friends. We have no problems, we have opportunities. We have no barriers, we have bridges. And then once again, that home will be a place of healing. That home will be a place of love. And Jesus Christ will again be visible, will again be audible, and will again be tangible. And to do that, we need first to have Christ come into our lives, not only to be a guest, the unseen host, but to be the most visible host. And he becomes the one that controls our lives. When he comes in, we stop the run, and then we start telling people, this home belongs to our Lord Jesus Christ, and they will see him in our lives. Shall we pray? I want us just to pause for a moment at this time. To consider what was said today. And to ask first, is Jesus in our hearts? We need to stop running. We can come to Jesus. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. Let him come into your life this morning. And I invite my Christian friends to decide today, Lord, I want my home to be a home of refuge. I want to dedicate myself to receive those people that need you. And I want them to know that Christ lives here. They can see him, they can touch him, and they can hear him. I pray that the Holy Spirit will sweep over our lives, flow in our lives with His love. Once again, we are open for His work and His ministry. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.